bright and early the next morning. They brought them all forth until Achan was picked. And in verse 19 it says, So Joshua said to Achan, My son, honor Yahweh God of Israel and give him praise. Tell me what you did. Don't hide anything from me. Achan told Joshua, It is true, I have sinned against Yahweh God of Israel in this way. I saw among the goods we seized a nice robe from the Babylon, 200 silver pieces, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I wanted them, so I took them. They are hidden in the ground right in the middle of my tent with the silver underneath. There's something that goes on throughout the Bible. This I saw and I took. And you see this with Adam and Eve. She saw that the fruit was good, even though God said it wasn't. And she took. And you're going to see this over and over and over again. Where God keeps using that phrase from the garden, I saw and I took. And what God is showing you here is that the same desire and the same sin that was in Adam and Eve's heart. That God said to only get wisdom from him. But I think that getting wisdom from the tree is actually better than what God says. Therefore, I'm going to become autonomous and do what I want to do. I am the definition of right and wrong. And that's more than just screwing up. That's I'm going to become a law unto myself. And I'm going to redefine what God has defined. And what God is showing you here is this more than just a guy screwing up. This is a guy who in his heart says, I don't care what God has defined as good and bad. Now, just because he says, you're right, I have sinned against God, that doesn't, that's not repentance. That's not shame. I mean, lots of people have said, yeah, I broke the law and I murdered people, and, but I don't care. Just, just saying, yes, I did something that was wrong is not repentance. And so he says that he hid it. Verse 22, Joshua sent messengers who ran to the tent, and the things were hidden right in his tent with the silver underneath. They took it and all from the middle of the tent and brought it to Joshua and all the Israelites and placed it before Yahweh. Then Joshua and all of Israel took Achan, son of Zerah, along with the silver and the robe and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and ox and donkeys, sheep and tent that belonged to him and brought them up to the valley of disaster. Joshua said, Why have you brought disaster upon us? Yahweh will bring disaster on you today. And all of Israel stoned him to death. They also stoned and burned the others. And then they erected over a large pile of stones, and it remains to this very day, and Yahweh's anger subsided. So the place is called the Valley of Disaster to this day. Now, this seems harsh to us. And in a way, it is harsh. But once again, like I talked about last week, we have no idea was to be an absolutely righteous, holy God who has never experienced any sin in any kind of way, watching his creation wallow in the sin and rebellion against him and destroying his good creation. To even truly appreciate to say, how could you, God? And the other thing that I kind of forgot to mention last week when we were talking about the extermination of the Canaanites is the very horror and the very like finger that you point at God and say, how could you? That's not just. How can you kill people like that? The only reason you have any sense of justice to even point a finger at him is because you got that sense of justice from the image of God that he put in you. 
And the reality is you stand there with a sense of justice and moral code and say, how can you, God? And the only reason that you even have an inkling of an idea that that might actually be wrong is because God gave you that sense of justice and understanding. The reality is they stone him and the whole entire family. Because once again, if you're digging up a hole in your tent and burying things, your family, you're not, you're not getting away with this. They join in. He even used the plural there. Reality is the whole family is stoned. Now, why stoning? That seems like, hey, there's more humane ways, right? Well, the reality is stoning is more than just little pebbles. It's you're picking up big rocks and you're throwing them. Now, the main reason that this is done this way, well, one, not the main, but a minor reason is stones are always very accessible. But a main reason is this. It requires the entire community to participate. You see, in our sense of execution, you send somebody off to a room, and one guy pulls a switch, or one guy swings an axe, or one guy pulls a lever for the guillotine, or one guy kicks the stool out from underneath the noose, or one guy runs him through with a sword, or five guys shoot you with a gun. It's very minimalistic. And it happens somewhere else. And it's usually done by people who do this all the time. And it doesn't really mean anything to them. It's just life becomes cheap. It becomes waste. It's just, I'm an executioner. That's what I do. That, I don't, can't imagine what that would do to you over time. But with this, it requires the entire community. Men, women, certain age of children. The minute you get to the age of 12 and you're considered an adult, that kind of stuff, and you all have to participate. And what it means is, and remember, they're all community-oriented. They know everybody. And so what it means is, if you know that if I allow this sin in my family or this person in my community's life to go unchecked, because everybody knows everybody in a community like this, because they're not individualistically oriented, and they're always doing what's best for the community, then you know if you let that go unchecked and you don't step in and you don't rebuke them or you don't call them out or you don't do anything you can, then one day you're going to be holding a stone and you're going to be throwing at them with the intention of killing them. And I guarantee you communities would be far more involved in making sure that all of our children turn out well if we knew there's a possibly one day I could take that kid that grew up in my Sunday school class and be throwing a rock on their head for their sin. And so it, it, it forces the community to be a lot more vigilant in the raising of their kids and rooting out sin and catching it early. Oh, you know, I don't know. I was just afraid that they wouldn't like me or, or I was afraid they'd get angry at me and then I have to deal with that. And I don't, I don't, and I, I don't, I get all that. I'm totally sympathetic to that. But if you knew one day you were going to have a stone in your hand, you'd probably be less likely, well, I'd rather them not be my friend one day than be dead. The other thing is this. It also reduces false accusations. In America, we falsely accuse people all the time. Sexual harassment and murder and theft and all this kind of stuff just because we want to destroy somebody who did something to us. Okay, my, two years into my teaching, some girl didn't like the fact that I told her to be quiet. She came into my class and was making noise in the back of the class and I was trying to teach. 
And I told her that this isn't her class. She can't just come in and yell and scream, and she needs to leave. And next thing I knew, about a couple weeks later, she was her and her mom and dad and a whole bunch of families got together and just started, like, trying to destroy me. They all got together, and they decided they were going to just destroy me. They made up all this stuff that I was saying that I never said, trying to smear me and destroy my reputation just because this girl didn't like the fact that she was told to be quiet when she should have never been talking or even been in my class. And it meant nothing to her to just try to destroy my reputation and my career and my livelihood because she just wanted payback for, making, for her being embarrassed. And we do this all the time. But if you know that you're actually, if she had to face me once I got prosecuted and take a stone in her hand and her whole family had to join her and everybody at school and she knew she was going to have to smash my body in with this rock, that might be a lot less likely to. <laughs> because at the same time, she's seen this happen already. Because this would happen somewhere in the community. And so you're a lot less likely to throw accusations out. And if a community is doing this all well, then you're probably not going to be doing stonings a whole lot. And the amount of people on death row are going to be very minimal. And so it seems harsh, but it's actually a lot more community-oriented. And this is what they do. And they destroy them and the entire family. And so they become the offering that they stole from God. Stories like this make us feel uncomfortable. And they should. Because stories like this make you realize of how we're supposed to view sin. This is how God views sin. This is the exact same God who thousands of years ago has already put into motion the plan to send his son, who is himself, to die on the cross for us because he loves us so much. And that exact same God, who is already, every single event is mapping out for Jesus. Jesus is coming, my son. I'm going to kill my son, who is also me. And I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And I'm going to die for these people. At the same time, I'm willing for Achan and his family to die because of sin. I don't even know how to bring those two things together. But you can't accuse God of being cruel and mean when the moment that this is happening, he's thinking about his son that will one day come because he loves us so much. And the reality is that that God hates that sin so much that he's willing to do that. And that God who hates that sin so much is willing to kill his own son too. And we need to view sin that way. We need to view sin that way. But at the same time, we have plenty of stories where we've seen the incredible grace and mercy of God. And the only way we can bring those two together is if we're in the Holy Spirit, praying and seeking Him. Because our emotions won't allow us to make good, just decisions. Our emotions will either go too extremely anger and just pound them down, or they'll go too soft and they, but I love them and I don't want anything bad to happen and we won't do anything. And it's a hard balance to maintain. But here's the other thing. This clearly shows God does not play favorites. 
the very thing that they're commanded to be doing to the Canaanites, the very thing they just did to the Canaanites for their sin, is the very thing that God is doing to his own people. And when he said, and if you too in Deuteronomy go off and commit the same sins and do the same things as the Canaanites, then I will bring the same judgments and the same plagues of Egypt upon you that I did them. He meant it. This makes it very clear that God doesn't say, like David's sins. David's big sin is he tolerated the sin of all the people close to him. But he punished harshly all the people around him that he wasn't close to. And God doesn't do that. God says, I don't care. You're all my children. And I'm dealing with sin the way that it needs to be dealt with. And God makes it very, very clear here. All those things I said about the Canaanite extermination is clearly demonstrated in here that this isn't about land, this is about favoritism, this isn't about power and wealth, this is about a righteous God <coughs> eliminating sin from his good creation that we jacked up. And right now it requires a stoning. Later it's going to require the death of his son because he knows exactly what needs to be done at certain circumstances in people's lives and history. And the only thing we can do is look at his long reputation of how good and awesome and loving he is and just trust that no matter what we feel here and no matter how hard it is to embrace the tension here, that he understands things way better than we do and he cares about Achan way more than we ever could or anybody else in our life. And the best thing we can do is fall flat on our face and cry out to God and seek his wisdom in every situation that we face what needs to be dealt with. Does this make sense? It is very hard to deal with a God who hates sin and at the same time loves people. You can't put God in a box. And this is the beauty of God. Not only does he do these stories to show you, you can't just Sunday school box me up and make me simplistic. I mean, there is a certain sense that this God is very simplistically able that my little daughters can understand him and grasp him. But there's a certain sense then, if you try to do that your entire life, how dare you in your 40s and 50s keep him in that same childlike box? God refuses to allow him to be in a box. And the other thing, too, is, like I said last week, he could have kept this out of his Bible. He chose to give us a story, and he doesn't apologize. If uh, Achan had repented before the conversation with Joshua and God, would it have made a difference? I don't know. I only can tell you, because I can tell you a time where David rapes a woman and murders her husband, and he says, please forgive me, and God says, you're forgiven, you will not die. But then there's another place where David is sinning, and we don't know what the sin is specifically. And God says, I'm going to bring, it's your, choose your own adventure, one of three judgments. And doesn't matter how much David repents, God says, I don't, I don't care how much you repent. It's coming. I don't know. But, but there were consequences to that first sin. Yes, there's always consequences. But consequences and condemnation are two different things. Because the consequences are clearly seen in the fact that they didn't defeat Ai. It's clearly seen that a member of the community is dead. It's clearly seen that now everybody has this memory of killing somebody that they know. There are, there are always consequences. Yes, very good. 
But that condemnation, that's different. 